Turn to the Psalms. Psalm 121. 121. It's only eight verses. Let's read it. Excuse me. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade on thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. We know the Lord will bless that reading of his own word. You know, some people look at a Christian and they think that a Christian is someone who can't do this and can't do that. Can't do the other thing and how boring your life must be as a Christian. That you're, you're really captured. But I want to tell you that when a man and a woman are truly saved and born again of the Spirit, that man and woman are freer than they have ever been in all of their life. They're free from everything that this world holds on them. They're free from the clutches of the devil. They're free from their sin. They're free, free indeed. When a man and a woman make their calling and election sure by coming to to Jesus in faith to the old rugged cross, that they come under that fountain of shed blood, they're more free than what they were when they were in the world and doing the things that they used to do, being the people they used to be. And so they don't realize that those people who are unsaved look at us and think, well, you must be so bound. I want to tell you, I've never been freer in all my life since the day I met the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there's one tonight, maybe you're thinking the same. And and then there are those who say, well, we all have free will. We have free will to decide to choose God or not. The Bible tells me that everyone that is outside of Christ are dead. Dead in their trespasses and dead in their sin. And so man and woman try to build a form of religion. They build their towers of Babel and so on because they, realize, they, they think that this is them reaching heaven. I'm going to look at it tonight. And they try to put their hope in it, and their dreams in it, and their plans in it. And there are those who look at other things and things that have addicted them and bound them, and they think because they take more off them that they're freer than they ever were. Friend, I want to tell you, whenever you're an alcoholic, the only time you think you're free is when you take another drink, but really you're binding yourself with another link of the chain. Same for people on drugs. Whatever the addiction may be, whatever that may be in your life as an unsaved person and Sometimes even people say, well, I was, I choose Jesus, or I didn't, I decided not to choose Jesus. Friend, I want to tell you, no man can choose Christ save the Holy Ghost. 
touch them, quicken them, come to them. That's why the scripture says today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. That's why the scripture says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation because the man and the woman who are in their sin and in the world and don't know Christ, they have no free will, no matter what you think. They have no free will to receive Christ of their own volition. But when the heart is stirred, but when the heart is awakened, then, friend, you realize it's the drawing of the Spirit to Christ. And you think at times, I choose Christ, no way. <laughs> Christ choose you. Notice what the psalmist says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Now, when I was reading this, I want to tell you exactly what I had written as the Lord laid it on me. I will, he says, showing the will of man. I will. Notice, this is what I've written. The will of man or woman. When we say man, we mean men and women. The will of man in his natural carnal state. The will of Adam, mankind, is not free, but rather it is dead toward God, ensnared, enslaved, unheld captive, imprisoned by its own fallen state, and in its unregenerate disposition by its own false ideology and its preconceived ideas of the mind. And that's the heart of men and women outside of Christ. I will. I'll do what I want. I will do it when I want. And I will do it as I want. That's the will of man. Ah, but he says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. Then let's look at it in a moment. So I go on to write when I was musing over this and pondering. The flesh is the despicable prison house that determines the boundaries of our living. It's an incarceration of a life sentence without parole. Its desires, its needs, its lusts, its pains and its sicknesses are all chains of our sinful fallen nature which are screw-tightened by that old prison warden of wickedness called the devil. What are you trying to say, Ken? That man and woman outside of Christ are not free no matter how free they think they are. Let's live free. I've heard I'm a free spirit. No, you're not a free spirit. And no, you're not living free. You're under bondage. You're in a prison house while you live. And you're under an old warden called the devil. And he has you ensnared and enslaved and held captive to his will. And every one of us are the same until Christ comes in to the life. Until Christ comes into the life. So I go on to write, the will of man is free as to his confines of his prison. And he is institutionalized because of his prison life from birth. And so he is dead to all sense of true free will. His free will is not free will, but in truth it is a captive will. 
leading them to a death penalty with execution impending at any moment. In other words, the will of man, unsaved man, unsaved woman still being in their sin. The will of man and woman, they say we're free, you're not free, but captive. And they are institutionalized, used to living that way. Used to living in their sin. Used to doing the things they do. And we were all the same. And we have a prison life from birth. The Bible tells us that we are shaping in iniquity and in sin did our mothers conceive us. We are born little sinners. Do you know the things you do does not make you a sinner? I want to say it again. Listen to it now. The things that you do do not make you a sinner. They may be sins, but sinning doesn't make you a sinner. You sin because you are one. It's in the nature. We cannot help ourselves. All of us have Adam's genes. We have taken Adam's germs, and every man and woman, no matter how religious they get, no matter how deep they are in depravity, the wickedest and the vilest of human beings, every one of us, no matter who they are in church life, every one of us are in sin, including this man. Every one of us. In other words, on a human level, you have free will to will and to do the things you want to do while this life is yours. But everything that you lead your will to do, there'll always be a master behind it. There'll always be a master behind it. For example, Romans chapter 6 and verse 16 Listen to what the apostle says. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Notice what the apostle says. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves to obey. He says, whoever you yield yourself to obey, then he says, they are your master. Can I ask you something? Is there someone in here in all your life, you've tried to do good even, maybe you're the worst of the worst, maybe you're the best of the best of humanity, but is there someone and you have yielded yourself to another master? You have yielded your members, your hands, your feet, your mouth, your body to some other master. That master is the devil. And we're told that if you yield yourself, you are yielding yourself to the obedience of him unto death. Listen to what Jesus said in John 8 and 36. He says, If the Son therefore shall make ye free, ye shall be free indeed. Free indeed. See, the night I got saved, I didn't understand exactly what was happening to me, but I knew that something was happening to me. And Christ quickened my heart. I wouldn't have I've been afraid to darken the door of a church in case it fell down around me. Christ quickened my heart, and I beheld the Lamb of God. And I called on the name of the Lord to be saved. In that moment, his blood was applied to my life and to my heart, to my sinful nature, and to my sinful ways. And I walked out of there under new management. 
I walked out of our free indeed. Free indeed. The only way a man and a woman can find true free will is when our wills are yielded up to God. So Psalm 121, verse 1, he says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. Well, surely, preacher, that must be a good thing, is it not? Well, let's pause there because we need to look at it from an unsaved humanistic point of view. First of all, the hills for the unsaved or the the unregenerate, the carnal man and woman, cannot see past them. Try and get what I'm saying here. This is what the psalmist is pointing at. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. He doesn't stop there, but we are for a moment. In other words, those people who do not know Christ as Savior and do not know him as their own Lord, the visual hills or mountains that we look and the grandeur of them, the wonder of them, they're fantastic. They're beautiful. But the hill in the lives of the unsaved that they tend to run to, to look to, are something different altogether. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. These hills are the hills of self-help and self-greed and self-appointment. That I'm my own man and I'm my own woman and I'm my own God and no one will tell me anything otherwise and that is your hill that you ascend. Gets you no further than the top of that hill. Heaven is a long way off. There's the hill of humanism and evolutionism and the hill of man's wisdom and science that we all run to. Well, sure, science says. Isn't that what you hear? Science says and science says. Yet science changes almost every day. But the word of God never changes. For the word of the Lord endures forever. There's the hill of substance and living our houses and our cars and our luxuries and our comforts and the things that we strive for in life so much that we miss out on so much more. And we keep our eyes on those hills. That's where my help comes from. Job security and all of those things, and they're good to have. But those are the hills that many will run to to find their help. People go and run to the bottle, to the drink, to the alcohol, to the bar, to the club, to wherever, to the party. And that's their hiding place for a short moment. That's their hill that they go to for a short period of time. It takes away uh, the trouble of the moment and gives you a numbness of the life that you're going through. But when you come out, things are worse than ever before. People lift up their eyes to these hills all the time. Secondly, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. The hills that we're speaking of here in Psalm 121 are religious hills. Religious hills. The religious person, the man and woman, sees no further than the hills of ritual and the hills of ceremony. They see no further than the hills of denominational supremacy for salvation. You see, if I belong to such and such a denomination, and if I go to such and such a denomination, and if I get 
christened or sprinkled or confirmed by water or by a priest or a pastor or a minister, then surely this hill will save my soul. They run into the hill of denomination. The religious hill. My help comes from there. Notice, friend, these religious hills, will you turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 4? John's Gospel 4, please. Just a few verses. We, you can read it all if you don't mind when you go home. John's 4, Jesus must needs go through Samaria. He meets a woman of ill repute. With, he's, she's had five husbands. She's on number six. Dear lover. Nobody wants to know this lady. Nobody cares about this woman. Nobody wants to talk to this woman. She comes out in the heat of the day when everyone else is in their siesta time. You know, that's the tut, tut, tut of society and they're no better than themselves. Christ meets her. Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Jesus, why do you have to go? Well, there's this wee woman. There's this wee woman that nobody loves. But I love her. And so he meets this woman at Samaria. At the well. And they start a a talk. A communication. And the woman asks him. About worship. Because Jesus asked her for water. He says I'd give you water that that you don't know of. An everlasting water if you knew who I was. Now let your eye run down to John 4. In verse 20, notice what she says to the Lord Jesus. Our fathers worship where? In this mountain. Our fathers worship in this mountain. And ye say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is off the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, Jesus says, now is. When the true worshippers, notice true worshippers, not the worshippers in the mountain, and not the worshippers in a Jewish temple, the true worshippers shall worship the Father, where? In spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him, God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. What was the Lord Jesus saying to this woman at the well? She's saying, I will lift up thine eyes unto the hills whence cometh my help. You see, we go to the mountains and we have our groves and our idols and our little carved statues. And we have the places where we even take food up to those gods whom we worship and revere. We even offer up children to them. And it's up the hills and it's up the mountains. And we believe that's where our help comes from. And you're saying you have to go to Jerusalem? Jesus says, woman, coming a time and it's right now. You're not going to go to those mountains anymore to worship. Nor will you even go down to Jerusalem because there's no temple worship. You know what he's saying? You're going to worship in your heart. You're going to worship in your spirit. 
and your Father seeks you to come and worship him. That's true worship. That's why we tonight can worship here as we play and sing while you stand there and praise the Lord. This isn't religion as per se to, to go through ritual and format. It's what we do on a Sunday night. No, we're here to encounter the living God, to give an offering unto him and to him alone. We won't lift up our eyes unto any hills. The unsaved, there's unsaved filling churches tonight in different parts of the world. There's unsaved in Rome. There's unsaved in uh, Canterbury Cathedral in Westminster. There's unsaved and they're going through ritual and ceremony. And they're saying, I belong to the Catholic Church or I belong to a Protestant denomination or I belong to this, that, and the other. And the gospel is not being preached on them. And they're going through their ceremonies and their rituals and they're wearing their Dagon fish matter hats as they walk up with their, their big staves as if they're the great shepherd. There's no salvation in them. See, the people will run to the hills of religion. You see, we had a great night tonight because we went to a, a little service. You know, friend, it's not about a little service. It's about the Christ of God. It's about Christ himself. So when the psalmist says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help, he's thinking all of these idol gods that are surrounded around the hills all outside Jerusalem and further afield where people would go and bow down at them. I remember Alison and I, we were over and weren't long married and we were in Crete. And I got all these tracts printed out in Greek. I took loads of them with me. And when we were driving around, we were going up into the mountains. Up in the mountains, there's these little idols about this height. And you could open the door, it's like a wee cabinet. And there was their wee figurines inside it. And there was wee figurines, maybe a saint or maybe, uh, maybe Mary in it or someone else in it, something else. And they were actually bits of leaves and food and flowers put in as if it's to appease, as if they're worshipping. And dear, love them. The people were blinded by this. And we used to go up and I used to just take the tractor and set it out for the next one that would come along. Up into the hills. Reminds me of Genesis chapter 11 and verse 4. Nimrod and the people there said, Go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach up to heaven. The higher we're up the mountain, the higher we're up the hills. Let's build a tower. Listen, and they're trying to do it again in the European Union. Only they're saying we will be like gods. Humanistic gods. And Romanist gods. Notice this. If you were to go to Second Chronicles chapter 33, if you can turn, you can turn, but I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to read a few bits and pieces. In the kingdom of Judah, that's the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel are carried away whoa, 120 plus years. Now the king in Jerusalem is called Manasseh. Now Manasseh is the son of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a reformer. He reformed the kingdom of Judah 
took down all the idols and the groves and opened up the temple and got the doors working. They were even closed. And he, he sorted out the temple for worship of Yahweh. And his son, remember Hezekiah is going to die? And Isaiah the prophet goes into him and he says, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die not live. And Hezekiah turns his face to the wall on his bed and he cries unto God, Oh, I've been good and I've done what you've asked me. And the Lord sends back in Isaiah the prophet and he says, Get his and get his people to make a poultice and put it on. The, it's called a sore boil in the scriptures. And the Lord gave him 15 years. Hezekiah had 15 years more to live. But in that 15 years, he had a son called Manasseh. Manasseh was wicked. Wicked, wicked, wicked king. And so the end of Manasseh is that the Lord tells him, you better turn from your wickedness because I'm going to allow the enemy to come and take you away. And he doesn't, it gets worse. Cutting a long story short, you can read about some of it in Second Chronicles 33. And so he's carried away and in his chains he goes into Babylon or that area by the Assyrian. Notice this. We're told in his chains he then repents. He sees his sons all murdered before him and then they put his eyes out and blind him. The last thing on his mind were the death of his sons burned into his conscience. And so what happens is Manasseh, he repents unto the Lord and he's released. And he becomes a reformer like his daddy. From the wicked, most vile man there was to a reformer king. In other words, he's putting in place the things of God that were taken away from the temple and from Jerusalem. Doesn't it show you no matter how far you've fallen, no matter how far you've went, no matter how far you've strayed, that his grace can always find you. The most wicked of men now turn back to God. Notice in verse 3, he, makes, he had made idols, it says, in verse 3, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. Verse 6, he observed times and enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with a familiar spirit and with wizards. See, he saw no further than the hills and he forgot about the God of creation. So then he's carried away captive. Here's something for you to note, a little side note. Do you see if you're dabbling and you're dealing with those things that people think are fine, like palm readers, even tea leaves, and all that nonsense, See the spiritists that say they're talking to your Aunt Aggie and your Uncle, Uncle Bob and Cousin Joe and all this sort of stuff. Now you hear me. That is not your Aunt Aggie, Cousin Bob and Uncle Joe. They are demonic spirits. They are demonic spirits. You know where they get this from? People say, ah, but King Saul, he got the witch of Andor to call up. Remember, he called up Samuel. And everybody says, and Samuel came. And listen, it wasn't Samuel at all. I'll tell you why. If it was Samuel, he prophesied twice, and he got them both wrong. I'll teach you about that another time. It was a demonic spirit impersonating the person that had passed. Notice, we're told that they worshipped in the high places. Second Chronicles 33 and verse 17 
It says, after he released and reformed Judah, it says, nevertheless, the people did sacrifice in the high places on the hills. You see, it does not matter how high man tries to go or to build. The will of carnal man can never reach God nor know him. So when the psalmist, Psalm 121 and verse 1 says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. This is as far as he can reach because it's as far as he can see because in his fallen, depraved nature, it's as far as he can go. We can always climb a hill. We can always enter this, that establishment. We can always go to that church. We can always go to the place where the gospel isn't preached. We can always go to the place where it's all ritual and the nice big gowns and it looks fancy and all the gold work and the idols and the statue. But I'll tell you, friend, it's a hell of blasphemy. We run to the hills. I remember when my mother wasn't well before she passed 20 it had been 22 years ago. She's past just 21, but she wasn't well. My dad, unsaved, came to me one day and he says, Son, I had your mom prayed for. And I says, Great, where were you? And I'm sorry, but I'm just going to mention it. It was in St. Anne's Cathedral in Belfast. And his thoughts were this. This big edifice, surely the size of this building, God is in there. He meant well. And I says, Dad, the Lord does not dwell in temples that are made with hands. He's not in there. You see, he runs to the hills. There's many people running to the hills of religion. And they'll die without Christ. Notice here, this is as far as free will, free will of man, manipulated by the devil. People say, oh, it's my free will. I'm free. What is it we hear today? I'm free to choose my gender. So many of them now don't know which is which. I'm not even trying to be funny about it, but it's true. I'm free to choose whoever I love or who I want to be with and I'm free to, to live how I like. And that is not only in uh, LGBT, that's, that's, that is also in, not only in homosexuality, but it's everywhere. I'm free to be with how many people I want to be, says the heterosexual, and I'm free to live how I want and I'm free to do what I want. You see, they're saying, I will, I will, I will, I will. I run into my hill. They think they're free, but they're bound by their own flesh, their own nature. They're bound by the devil. Verse 2 says, first of all, he says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Look at verse 2. Here's the true free will. You ready? Psalm 121, verse 2. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. Notice, that's the heart of a saved man. That's the heart of the saved woman. Yeah, we see the hills. We recognize the hills. 
We recognize the places where people run into. We see it. We know it. We recognize it. We look at all the religious establishment. We see all the ritual, the ceremony, how it could be attractive. We understand that. But my help cometh from the Lord. My help cometh from the Lord which made the heaven and the earth as my help cometh from the God of creation. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Here's something about heaven and earth. The distance between the earth and the observable universe edge, what we know, in other words, that's just what we know, the observable universe edge, or the sphere from earth. It's 46 billion light years away, just the radius of it. Double if you go from one end of it to the other. Let me give you an idea of what 46 billion light years looks like. If we were to travel 186,282 miles per second. Let me say it again. 186,282 miles per second. Let me give you an idea of that. 1,001. That's how far you've traveled. Let me just bring it down to something else you'll understand. 1,001. You've traveled around the earth seven and a half times. That's the speed of light. 1,001. You've traveled around the earth seven and a half times. Let me give you another example. 1,001. You've just came from the moon to the earth. Speed of light. Speed of light. Non-stop. There's no traffic lights. No traffic get in your way. 1,001. 186,282 miles per second. That is without it bouncing off things because light diverts. That's in a vacuum, by the way, in case anyone online comes and says, you didn't tell me it was in a vacuum. (laughs) Now notice this. This is all that we know. The nearest star, when you go out tonight and you find the nearest star, Alpha Centauri, you know how far away it is? It's traveled at the speed of light for four point three year and you're only seeing it now the light you see when you go out into the nearest star not the sun now the nearest one past that it is left there the light that hits your right tonight left there four and a half years ago uh, 4.3 years ago and has traveled 186,282 miles per second to get to your eye for four and a half years almost that's the nearest star If you and I were to fly on an airplane to the sun, S-U-N, cruising at 550 miles per hour, you know how long it would take you? 19 years. Non-stop. Big fuel tank, isn't it? Santos tell us as well that driving a car non-stop at 60 miles per hour from here, planet Earth, to the sun, you know how long we take you? 177 years. Just to the sun, our sun. Let me go a little bit further with this. There are 10 billion, listen, 10 billion galaxies that we know of. 10 billion galaxies. Approximately 1 billion trillion stars. This is all that we know of. One billion trillion stars. What does that look like? 
Number 10 to the point of power of 24. Let me show you. One, two zeros is a hundred. Three zeros is a thousand and so on. One, six zeros is a million. Isn't that right? If six zeros after one, that's one million. One and 24 zeros. That's all that we know at the minute. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 147 and verse 4. He telleth the numbers of the stars and he calleth them by their names. <laughs> I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh mine help. My help cometh from the Lord which made the heavens and the earth. Now, I don't know about you. But I'm not going to go up some wee hill to some little idol and place some food in to try and feed the God that's meant to be helping me. I'm going to be resting my whole security in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The eternal spirit of all creation. Notice, he telleth the number of the stars, he calleth them all by name. We name them them things like uh, Eridanus and Cassiopeia and Andromeda and Ursa Major and Draco and Orion and then we have the Crux and you know all of those sort of stars we name them but he has a name for every single one of them and he's a number for them here's what I was thinking about do you remember Lazarus died and he was in the tomb four days dead and he shouts Lazarus come forth and Lazarus comes out of the tomb do you remember that and an old preacher was preaching that years and years ago, and a critic shouts up, it was all, it was all false because he shouted his name, Lazarus, and he waited he called his name, and he came hopping out of the tomb. Why did he do that? And the preacher said, because if he had just shouted, come forth instead of Lazarus, everyone that was dead would have risen from the grave. They'd all arise from the grave. Now, I was thinking about that when I was reading this. And all I could think of is, Lord, you have named every one of them. And I wonder in that day when there's a new heaven and a new earth, will you call their name? And every planet's going to turn into bloom. (laughs) I wonder what it's going to be like. You're going to be risen from the dead. Man's looking for wee traces of water and little bits of life and all of this. Jesus is just going to speak and everything's going to happen. (laughs) He knows them. All by name. Notice this. Psalm 8 and verse 3. David says, When I consider thy heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Listen, let's read it again. Psalm 8 verse 3. When I consider thy heavens, O God, when I think of these things, that's David without his telescope. But that was David with the telescope of the Holy Ghost. When I consider thy heavens and the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, oh, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou shouldest think upon him? Or visitest him? Notice this. David said, you visited me. The God who made that visits me. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made the heavens and the earth. You visit me, Lord. Think about it. The living God to visit us. 
the living God in the person of his son. Notice, I will lift up mine eyes onto the hills. That's as far as unsaved man gets. The hills and no further. The regenerate man and woman, my help cometh from the Lord, are under free grace. God comes down and deals with them. Do you know if you're not saved and God is speaking to you, you realize these things are true? God has come to speak to you. That's God. I must move on quickly. I'm going to try and close. Thank you. Notice what he says. Psalm 121 and verse 4. The Lord is thy keeper. Pardon me. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. You know, young Psalm's got a sore throat and Rebecca's barking like a dog and I think he's have smit me my throat sore as well. Notice this. <clears throat> Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. He's not only a God of creation, but he's a God of nations. He can keep Israel. Makes me think of how he has kept Israel in the wilderness. The logistics of feeding the multitude of Israel when they come out of Egypt has been calculated by some men who are far more astute than I am. Do you know to feed the multitude for one day, one day now, in the wilderness, it has been estimated to feed Israel has been, it would take 2,000 tons of food a day. Let me put that into someone. Some, it's four million pounds of weight. Now, you never know you go into the butchers or the butchers, no matter how polite you are. You ever go to the butchers? Butchers, okay. So you go to the butchers and you ask for whatever you ask for. <laughs> something, give me a weight for mince or something. I don't know what they are. Alison gets them. You were in the butchers, darling. I should have asked you. Of course, Lydia. A pound of mince. Now, you know what that feels like. Can you imagine four million of them? Four million of them for one day to feed Israel? Four million? Transportation to get them to them if they were having to be transported would take three freight trains, one mile long each, every day. Every day. Firewood, you'd need 4,000 tons of firewood every day. They're in the wilderness. We talk about the manna. The manna every day. Of course, that's what God fed them on. What about the firewood? Do you ever think about it? They're in the wilderness. 4,000 tons of wood a day. And their water, they'd need 11 million gallons. Do you hear that? 11 million gallons every day. And if you put it on the big freight train, what would hold carriages uh, full of water if you could do that. You know how long the train would be? 1,800 miles long every day. Every day. And God says, you look to me. Israel, I'm your keeper. And he did it. For 40 years. (laughs) 
You might sort of think of whenever our nation has been under dire stress and strain. I think of times like of whenever the Spanish Armada was coming. The people prayed and God sent a wind and blew them away from the coastlands of Britain. And I think of Napoleon Bonaparte who never came across, was conquering all over Europe but hadn't the power because the people were praying and trusting in the word of God. Churches were filled with people serving the Lord. And I think of that. I think of the Kaiser of Germany in First World War. And I think of whenever the people went to pray when the British expeditionary forces were so under pressure, the Germans were overwhelming them because they had greater firepower and far more men. And it looked like a defeat for Britain. You know what happened? They called the National Day of Prayer. And it's been recorded both on the German side and on the British side how God sent forth big massive angels and stopped them. Called the Angels of Mons. Last year they actually struck up a medal or a, a coin to remind them of it. I think of the Second World War. In Dunkirk, 335,000 plus British and Allied forces st- stranded along that beach. And I think of how they were like sitting ducks with a German Luftwaffe coming down and the Stuka dive bombers coming and diving as they screamed down to, onto them, dropping the bombs and blowing the young men to bits and pieces. I think there was no hope for them. King George VI. He called a day of national prayer. King George VI, when he called it, listen, all the churches were filled. People cried unto God. And a miracle happened. It reminds me of when Israel in, in Exodus 14, and there was the Red Sea in front of them, and the Egyptians coming behind them, and they knew where to go. They were going to be slaughtered. And Moses held up the staff and says, Stand still this day and see the salvation of the Lord. Remember the sea opened? Well, the sea went calm when the people prayed, when the soldiers were on Dunkirk Beach. You don't hear that much, you don't. Man, like a duck pond that little boats could go over and bring the troops back. He didn't split the sea, but he stilled it. And then between the Luftwaffe and the people, the, the, the forces on the beach, you know what happened? He sent a big storm up between them. The Luftwaffe couldn't take off. God put a cloud between the Egyptians and Israel in Exodus 14 and opened the sea. Here God, he puts between Germany and Britain and the Allied forces, he puts a big storm cloud up that they couldn't take off and he calms the sea that they may sail over on top. Now you see what God can do. Now you see how God can keep. He's the God of creation He is the God of nations and it tells us he neither slumbers nor sleeps. Let me finish. God of creation and of nations and me. Is he your God tonight? You know, God's word tells us in Psalm 121, verse 5, pardon me, in verse 7, the Lord shall preserve thee. In verse 8, the Lord shall preserve thy going out and coming in. Verse 3 tells us he neither slumbers nor sleep. In Psalm 56, in verse 8, he tells us he bottles your tears and he writes your wanderings in a book. That's how much he knows you. He's not just this great big God of eternity. He's looking down laughing at you. No, he's a God. David says, what is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man that thou visitest him? 
He could have left you alone with your own free will under the bondage of the devil and Satan. He could have left you to it and you'd have went to the devil's hell, but he came himself. This same one came to die for us. Notice the very hairs of our head are, num- are all numbered in Luke chapter 12 and verse 27. There's a few of you men who are going to be glad to hear that in that day. Isn't that right, Richard? And Lloyd down the back there. <laughs> he has them all numbered, brother. It says, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I want to tell you, God sent his son into the world that you might be saved. And so when he comes down, the God who could have allowed you to die in what you think is your free will, he came down to let you see that you're enslaved, you're ensnared, you're imprisoned and you're trapped, you're incarcerated by the devil and by the lusts of your flesh and your will is a deathly will. But he comes to release you from it all for he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And he goes all the way to Calvary's cross and he sheds his blood and he takes it all from you in his own body on the tree, carries it the grave and he rises again victorious over it all that's our God tonight it's the God that we serve and love Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ I have so much material there I could be here till 11 o'clock tonight just sat writing the other night it came to me and I thought I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. No. I used to do that, Lord, in my unsaved days. I ran to everything but you. See right past it. There's a future in glory for you. My help cometh from the Lord. It's made heaven and earth. And he keeps me and he preserves me. And the very last of the verse, he says, he preserves my soul forevermore. May God bless his word to you tonight. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen. God bless you tonight.